Hey, Warners, welcome to Women Your Mother Warns You About, the podcast that makes business sexy again. I'm Rachel Pitts, one of the co-hosts of the Women Your Mother Warns You About show. Today, Gina is, well, Gina is out changing lives and saving the world with Sales Gravy. Gina is a master trainer and the director of coaching at Sales Gravy, and Sales Gravy happens to be our fabulous sponsor. So because she is burning the candle at both ends, we have put together an episode for you that is kind of the best of the best of the four horsemen in sales, Jeb Blunt, Victor Antonio, Anthony Inarino, and Mark Hunter. So check out these excerpts from some of our favorite experts, from some of our favorite guys in sales. Get ready for a really wild ride with some great knowledge nuggets with Jeb Blunt. What are some of the biggest things that maybe salespeople are not adapting to or doing right in this climate that they can learn from your book? Let's just start with some reality. And I just got off the phone with a massive organization that is looking at their sales organization and they're trying to figure out what they can do to accelerate. Well, really take another way, make sure that they don't lose the year. So one of the things that they're really, I think, bringing to the surface, and it's an interesting emotional conversation to have on a sales call, is that they've got a certain part of their sales organization that's just just in mourning. So they're looking backwards, they're looking in the rearview mirror, and they're wishing that things would go back to the way they were. So I think one of the biggest issues for salespeople right now is not whether you're virtual selling or in-person selling or phone selling or doing anything else. You're just immobile because you're mourning and you're wishing and hoping and praying that things are going to go back. I also think that a lot of people have been waiting. Like, maybe I can just wait this out. And you're not going to be able to wait it out. The world has changed. It's not going to go back. It's, it's changed. And it's changed forever. And that's what transformational moments do. So transformational moments are transformational moments for you personally, for your business, for the country, for the world. These things stick long term. 9-11 is a great example. That was a transformational moment. Travel has never been the same. It never went back. If you look at the last recession, the Great Recession, the hardest time that we ever had before this, and by the way, I, I bet the two of you would say exactly the same thing. When you went through the Great Recession, you never believed that you would ever have to endure that again in your lifetime. You thought like, I mean, I remember talking to my grandparents about the Great Depression. They never quit talking about it. They talked about their entire life. They, uh, you get, get a couple of scotches to my granddad and you're going to go back to the Great Recession because our Great Depression, because that's what he did. Like he lived in it. And, but he never saw that ever happen again. I mean, they saw a couple of recessions, but they never saw anything like that. We've done it twice in 10 years. It's craziness, but this thing is, yeah. is where it is. Yeah. So the biggest issue for salespeople right now is to wake up. We can just use the word, wake the fuck up, right? And wake the fuck up because it's not going to change. You need to look out of the rear, uh, the front run, front of the front windshield of the whatever vehicle you're driving and look to the future. Now, 
That does not mean that, that we're in a situation where face-to-face selling is dead. And I address this at the very beginning of the book. It is not dead. It is not going the way. Only a fool would argue that any form of communication other than face-to-face is better because it's not. The way that human beings communicate, I mean, if we were in a room together doing this, this, this interview, it would be, we would have a lot deeper connection. Now, we have a level of familiarity because we've done this a few times. So it's a lot easier for us to do this the third time than it was for us to do it the first time. So we've created that, that connection over video, but it takes a little bit longer to, to build that. However, if we all had to get on airplanes to do this podcast, it wouldn't be efficient. So in some cases, even though face-to-face may be the best way to communicate, it's not the efficient or the most cost-effective way. So for salespeople right now, if we just take those two lessons, one lesson, wake the fuck up, it's not changing. And the second lesson is what's, what's going to change and what you need to step into is a new world that is blended. Yes, in certain industries right now, your only way of going to market is virtual, but that's not going to always be the same. We're going to move into a world and get used to hearing this world blending. You are going to be blending many different communication channels together to create a great emotional experience for your customer as they go through the buying process. And what you need to start doing is looking at your sales process looking at your targeted customer base, looking at each opportunity in your pipeline and making a probability adjustment. What is the probability that this particular communication channel will get me to the outcome that I desire at the lowest cost of time, effort, and money? Now, let's take this back again. This is the decision we have to make. Then we have to look at the opportunity and look at the next move on the chessboard and say, I'm going to, based on what's in front of me, pick the communication channel that in this moment with this client, with this opportunity at this time, with this particular move is going to give me the highest probability of closing for the next step, getting the outcome that I desire with the lowest cost of time, energy, and money. That's simple. And that's what the future is going to be versus where we were, which is, well, you know what? They want to see me. So I'm just going to go get on an airplane. And that's what CFOs were telling us. When I was writing this book, I had CFOs say, I'm buy this for everybody because we'll just get on the airplane. We'll just get in our car. We'll drive across town. We didn't need to do that. So as you start to wake up and start looking at the new world, don't mourn, oh my God, I wish we could go back to where we were before. Think, I can be more productive. I can accomplish more. I can short, shorten sales cycles. I not, not only can I double my productivity, I can quadruple my productivity because I'm able to use my time and energy wiser. So yes, there are going to be moments where you need to be face-to-face. There is no doubt about that. It matters in some situations. If you're going to invest the time and energy and money to be face-to-face, just pick wisely so that when you go there, you're getting big outcomes from it and it matters. Otherwise, we have this entire... Like just, I mean, just, it's just this bucket full of tools that we can use. This is the most exciting time ever to be in sales. So you can connect with people in unique ways and you can accomplish what you do as a salesperson, which is to help your customers solve their problems and reach their business goals. Boom. So good. I think another part of the process. We often talk about playbook versus book of play in an improv world. You have to listen to what the client is saying too. Because I've had clients ask me or prospects ask me, can we get on a Zoom call? Well, yeah. yeah. I didn't have to propose it. That mm-hmm. was their preference. And 
I have found it to be far more effective because like we were saying, it'd be so much more fun for us all to be in the same room together. But now that people have gotten so used to doing video calls, it's becoming more and more comfortable and more the norm and more requests to like, Mm -hmm. they want to see your face. But you have to listen. You have to listen if they're suggesting that and that that's their process. Hey, if that works for them, I'm in. No, if we just dial this into human connection. Okay, so you know, so we were what we were just talking about was what people will accept and like what's the best channel. But if we dial it into human connection, and this is why, for example, with millennial account executives, and I'm a Gen Xer and I'm standing over them in their, you know, in their offices coaching them, and I'm like, put your face on camera. I don't really look really good right now. I'm like, you're a salesperson. Be video ready. Show up ready to go. You're having a conversation with someone trying to get them to buy a really expensive piece of software that they're going to get married to. Oh, we brought Mary back for the rest of their life, right? So maybe if you showed up and got on the camera and had a conversation with them versus talking over your screen and being inhuman, they would connect with you and it would be a better experience for them. So for me, that's like, that's the key for us is what are we doing? How are we connecting with them in the right way? Now, the video, the reason why people like a Zoom call is that at the end of the day, right, face-to-face is the best way. But what we're trying to do on a video call is to create the closest facsimile possible to an in-person conversation. So and I think that's I think that's where we have to to think you know differently. I don't like we we sell deals overseas. You know when we go you know to our clients that are in different countries, I don't ever get on an airplane to go close a deal in a different country. The whole thing is on video, everything, and it's been that way for years. So so if there's one thing that you can do, if the client says I want to be on a Zoom, it's raising your game, and 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 I think this um, is super important. Because if you're a millennial or you're a Gen Zer or whatever, you have to change the way that you're dealing with people. You need to lift it up. You got to be better. So, um, and and just even you know even just your you know the backdrop, what's behind you, how you look on camera, your lighting, all those things matter greatly. So. When you know when you go when you get in your car, if you're a field salesperson, you get in your car to go see people. You dress for success. Almost everybody dresses nicely. Same thing happens on the on the camera. You got to act like you you're mean to be there, and that there's you're going to a sales call. And if there's one thing, and Rachel, I'll give you this on you know on the on the millennials and the Gen Zs. It, I'm having pretty hard conversations with people about you can't show up to your sales call wearing a hoodie and a backward baseball cap because it makes you feel like you're cool because you have a job in San Francisco, but you're talking to a business owner who's 57 years old in Des Moines, Iowa, and that ain't going to play in Des Moines, Iowa. So you need to, you need to start you know, thinking about how you're dressing, how you look. And, uh, and I have to explain to a lot of these, you know, these, these, you know, the younger salespeople that are coming up because they'll tell me, well, I'm just being the authentic me. And I just like, if you're being the authentic, you authenticity without regard to your audience is arrogance. Ooh, that is a, that is a great quote. Did just you just right come here up in the, it's in the book. I wrote the book, but I, it is my <laughs> quote. I, <it's, laughs> Let's get started by welcoming the Victor Antonio to the women your mother warned you about. Welcome, Victor. Thank you for having me, ladies. I am looking forward to this conversation. I have no idea where it's going, but I'm looking forward to it. 
I'm curious, do you have, and I know you, you um, teach courses for us at sales gravy and there's a lot of rave reviews about you from a lot of the clients that I work with, that they just love you. And they always come into a class. I'm like, I just took Victor Antonio's. I'm like, Enough with this Victor already. No, I'm kidding. Look at that guy. They they love you. Is That's there cool. is there something specific that you think is your sweet spot when it comes to sales training? There's two things. I, uh, the first thing I you know I I have this course called Blocking Objections. Mm-hmm. I am telling people that if you just wake me, if you slap me, wake me up in the middle of the night, I said, what's the one course you said everybody must take? It's the blocking objections course, because it's all about how do you reduce buyer resistance by raising the objections first. And I walked through this, I wrote a book around it, and there's this whole strategy around it. And if you just implement that one strategy, you will feel the difference already. So that's the one thing. The other one is that I wrote a book called Sales Ex Machina, which I believe was the first book on how artificial intelligence is changing the world of selling. So my technology, my nerdy side came out on that. I said, yeah, let's go do this AI stuff. So I think those two things are, I think people should look at. One would help you with presentations mm-hmm. and really reducing resistance. And the other one just keeps you up to date what's happening with technology. That would be the one-two punch. Okay. What is happening with technology? What do you foresee? Well, right now, I mean, what's going to happen is that the number of B2B sellers are going to read, has been steadily declining and it will. A lot of these roles will now be absorbed within the actual companies, SDRs, BDRs, whatever you want to call them, inside salespeople. Uh, This pandemic, I mean, we were on, on, like, if we were on a 45 degree trajectory to get to virtual selling, uh, the pandemic just made it a nine degree turn. Let's get to it. But we've been doing it for a while anyway. And so what's happening now is, and I'll give an example. I work with a large energy company, uh, batteries for like towers, cell sites and stuff like that. And their sales during the pandemic went down 10% because their salespeople weren't traveling. This, these are, this is a B2B complex sale. Went down 10%, but he said, but Victor, our costs are through the floor, which means our profit margins are even better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think a lot of companies are discovering that they don't, they can do this. And the best analogy I can give you going back to my engineering days is I remember I took a metallurgy class and this is a real simple example. The, the, the professor gave us a wire, like, you know, like a coat hanger wire. And he said, bend it. So you bend it. Right. And then he says, okay, great. He says, now make it straight again, get the kink out. Well, you couldn't, if you've ever bent a wire, you can't get the kink out because the bonds realign themselves and they're that much stronger. I think the pandemic bent the hanger. And then now we will never go back to that straight hanger again. So now there's a kink in the hanger. There's a kink in our way of thinking for the better. I think that virtual selling is a reality and it's, 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 it's validated. It can be done. Car companies, like for now we buy cars. Now we're having them delivered companies like Vroom deliver them, or you go to Carvana, uh, Friends who do pool companies. I got friends in the pool company business who are just, I mean, just selling like you wouldn't believe. They're basically having these types of calls, designing the pool with some virtual software, doing it all online. Window company I work with, you don't even have to go see the windows. They'll show it to you. They'll do a whole full demo online. And so all this stuff is happening. It's exciting, actually, that now this, this virtual selling piece is a reality. And what, what you're going to see is the number of salespeople be reduced. We're going to have less salespeople. Yep. So that question there, less salespeople. If, so if you're one of the, the remaining salespeople out there, what advice can you give them for stepping up their game because jobs are being eliminated? The Here's the all-encompassing answer for both B2B and B2C. And that is salespeople have to learn that, first of all, your product's not unique. 
Your service is not unique. Your company's not unique. In fact, I don't even think you're unique. Let's just start out with that. Let's level the playing floor. And let's, let's say we understand all that. Now let's go over to the buyer side. The buyers on the buyer side are confused because there's so much content on the internet. What they're looking for are, are salespeople who can curate. And that's, I love that word, mm-hmm. can curate the content for them. And it can, it's almost like, you know, we talked about trusted advisor, consultative, so like all that. I get all that, but I just need somebody to help me make a buying decision. Just clear the field for me and then explain why they're clearing the field, right? You just can't say, oh, buy this because it's the best. No, here's why. Look at your options and really work with something. That's what they're looking for. If you sell from that perspective where you become a, a subject matter expert or a domain expert, then these are the people who are always going to have jobs, especially in fields that like B2B, B2C, whatever it be. It doesn't even matter. Let me go to the extremes. If you know technology and you understand how, I don't know, 5G works and network design, systems design, and you have a great IT background and platform background, you're always going to have a job. That's complex sale. But I would also argue that even in the the B2C space, let's say pools. You would think pools. How can I differentiate myself in pools? Well, there's so many ways. There's so many ways you can design a pool that what people want is for you to grab them mentally by the hand and just walk them through but also have three things. One, be a, a subject matter expert. Two, have their point of view, like take their point of view, really try to understand what they're going through. And the third aspect is, is have their best interest in mind. And what I mean by that, I like somebody who, who's actually looking out for my pocket, you know, who will say something like this, look, Victor, there's three options here. This one's expensive. If you think the long-term, that might be a good chance, but based on what you've told me, let's look at these two and let's narrow it down. And then, because this is what you can afford now, this is what you can't afford. I want those direct conversations. I want somebody to curate the content for me and have some great direct conversations. And here's some words from our sponsor, Jeb Blunt at Sales Gravy. Hi, this is Jeb Blunt. There's a reason why thousands of sales professionals and top companies across the globe honed their sales skills at Sales Gravy University. You see, Sales Gravy University is different than most learning platforms. First, we have live courses taught in a virtual classroom by our master trainers that start almost every single day. And our e-learning platform is populated with hundreds of hours of sales training content produced by some of the top sales trainers in the world, including Gina's spontaneous selling course, which is worth checking out. Now, I've got some good news. If you've never taken a course on SalesGravy University, if you're a new user, you can take your very first course for free. That's any course on the platform, absolutely free. Just go to learn.salesgravy.com. That's learn.salesgravy.com or click the e-learning tab in the top menu at salesgravy.com, pick out your course, and when you check out, use coupon code FREECOURSE to get that course for free. That is free course to get your very first course for free. We've got the hunter, the sales hunter, Ooh. Mark Hunter on our show today. Mm, I love some Mark Hunter. You know what, Warners? You're just going to have to sit back and go on the ride from mortuaries to marketing. That's what this episode is about with Mark Hunter. I used to do a lot of work with Blue Man Group. They were fun to work with. Yes. Oh, they were fun to work with. Great yes. show. Yes. Great show because we, we what we did was we recreated the uh, ticket buying experience to really be part of the show. Oh. In other words, in other words, the whole idea the group I was working with was most of their ticket sales are group sales. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, 
And they had about, they had four, at that time they had four permanent shows and two traveling shows, I believe it was anyway. Um, and, uh, but mostly as groups, it's groups, groups. Yep. And the whole thing that we did was, uh, as I said, wait a minute, hold, hold. Blue Man Group is such a special experience. We're going to yeah. make the ticket buy, whether it be, whether you're working with a meeting planner, HR department, tour, uh, DMC, whoever it is, make that part of the experience. And we did that. I mean, it was just, it, it just, it was cool. It was. Well, well, tell us more about that. Cause I, well, I think that's. Yeah, because cool. he, here's the whole thing. People would buy, okay, you know, I need to get a block of 50 tickets for this show and so forth. And here's the thing. No, make that part of the show. Engage with them, engage with them, find out about them. Talk, you know, it, when you, when you have that ticket buying experience, be part of it, then what do they do? They tell, Oh, this is going to be so good. This is going to be great. This is going to be great. And then one of the things I also said is look, when you come out of Blue Man Group show, you're higher in a kite. Yes. And you just are on fire. Yeah. And I said, the next day is when you got to follow up with them. Yeah, but we, no, 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 no. The next day is when you follow yeah. up with them. Because that's yeah. when you book their next tour. That's when you yeah. book their next trip. That's when you, and and we just made it part of the process. And it changed dramatically. A, their ability to retain people. Ability mm-hmm. to retain salespeople. Because now they felt they were part of Blue Man Group. Mm-hmm. But B, it, it increased their, their sales performance tremendous and repeat sales went through the roof because we did this the next day, immediate, fo- immediate follow up, immediate. Yeah. I love that. This is a great segue into the power of creating experience in sales to continue the sales. I did a workshop today, my what to say when you don't know what to say workshop. And I walk people through what being an improv performer looks like and how that completely transfers over into sales. And there's seven tenets. And the last tenet is to perform for referrals and retention. Because when you give a really good experience on stage to the audience, just like you're talking about with Blue Man and right, like improv is an interactive show like Blue Man, people walk out going, oh my gosh, this was amazing. We're coming back next year. We're telling our friends, we're going to go back to the hotel. And so how we show up and perform on stage brings us more business. Same thing as a salesperson. How are you performing to bring in repeat business where you're not like going after all new business? Well, that's because what you're doing is you're emotionally connecting with the other person. And this is whether it's B2B, whether it's B2C, whatever. When when I can have that dialogue with you and I allow my personality to come through, unless I'm the the weird uncle or the crazy aunt in the family, I got a personality that's going to resonate. One of you two are that person. I'll talk with you later. Uh, But you, you allow your personality to come through. Now, not in a manner that's just bizarre, just in a manner that's engaging and caring. And when you do that, it's amazing how the other person will come along with you. Because that's really what people want. People want to have genuine, authentic conversations. And that's really what improv is. It's genuine and authentic. Because mm-hmm. it's not scripted. It's improv. No. No, it's, yeah. it's improv is, you know, it, 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 it's you. It's however you feel right now. So it's genuine and authentic. So I'm all over what you said today. Yeah. Some salespeople might shove it down the the person's throat and then ask for a signature and a credit card. And and it's just 
way too much to absorb. So it was really, really well done in the way that Gina did keep coming back to, hey, I know this is a lot. It's just a starting point. We can rework all of this after you talk to your partners and all that. It was just very well done. I was like, yeah. Yeah. See, uh, allow the customer to buy on their timetable. Now, it doesn't mean our job in sales isn't to accelerate their time. Uh, Our job is to accelerate the timetable. And, And that's why I say, you know, we have to create that air of urgency. But here's the whole thing. You can't get them too far out of their comfort zone because no. then they shut down. They just simply shut down. They and have to they have to they have to feel like they're in control. Right. Right. Understandably. And and, and this is what's funny. They have to feel like they're in control. Correct. That's, feel. The key That's word. why I said feel. That's right? the key word, because it, people always say, Mark, you, you you want to let the customer drive. I go, yeah, I want to let the customer drive. Mm-hmm. I, I I still know where the car is going, but I'm going to let them drive. And what does it do? It allows them to feel like they're in control. Mm-hmm. And they are in turn are going to develop more trust and confidence with me. They're going to share more information. I'm going to gain better insights. I'm going to understand their outcomes better. And I'm ultimately going to get them to their solution, which is not the product or service I'm selling. It's the outcome they want to achieve from the product or service I sell. That's where I want to get them. Right. Guys, Mark's good too. (laughs) Sit back and enjoy this episode with one of our favorite guys. We have a lot of favorite guys, but one of our favorite guys, Anthony Inarino. What I've had to really work on is time management and calendaring. That's that, that has been my key opportunity, which I have gotten much better at. It's the only way. There's no such thing as time management. It's impossible. Well, more like time discipline. Discipline? Yeah, discipline might work. I would just say priorities. How about priorities? Yeah, there's definitely there's definitely priorities. So the priorities get filled in on the calendar and then everything goes around it. Which has been which has been great because I literally am now in a good place of saying, no, can't do that. No, can't do that. No, can't do that. Those are not priorities. There's a, a new book from the author that wrote Essentialism. I don't know if you read that book or not. Greg McKeon. Uh, great book. His new book is out. It's called Effortless. And he starts by talking about the, the Stephen Covey story that he used to tell about how the teachers up in front of the classroom and they pour the sand into the jar and then they pour the pebbles into the jar and then you can't fit the big rocks in the jar. And that, and he, he tells that story at the beginning of the book. And it just makes me think like, why are you putting the sand in at all? Like what, what, why would you put the sand in? Like you don't need to fit a couple more rocks in there and get rid of the sand altogether. Like, why are you worried about social media and distractions and and uh, all kinds of uh, emotional stuff that you're connected to. Why not just drop all that and not put it in the jar at all? And uh, I I think he's a good essentialist. I think he invented the term. Um, but when I thought about it, I was like, stop putting stuff in that jar. <laughs> don't put anything in there. Because if you don't put the sand in, then you get margin. Now I got some space in there, right? You need some space so that you can... Rachel, I'm not directing this at you exactly, but maybe to do a little meditation and look inside and just start determine what areas you want to start working on or something like that. 
Ooh, now maybe I'm one of the guys that your mother's warned you about, like just looking deep into you and challenging you with something like this. Gina's about to cry. She enjoyed that so much. You enjoyed that way too much. Any Anything you um, want to share with us that you experienced or aha moments that came out of get going through this crazy pandemic and how that maybe changed your business or your clients' businesses? The interesting thing that happened to me is that LinkedIn blew up and Twitter blew up and my email blew up all with the same thing. Should we stop selling right now? And I'm like, what a weird reaction to have. Yeah. And when people are in a time of need, like, so I had to start explaining to people like when you go and you help people when times are good, you're obligated to go back to those same people and help them when times are bad, when they really need more help. And when you decide like, well, I don't want to have an uncomfortable conversation with them and they're under stress. Well, guess what? That That's the price of admission to the relationship that you have with individuals. Like if you only show up when it's easy and when you're going to get paid and you don't have to stretch to do anything, you're never going to have the relationships you're capable of having as a, as a salesperson. So your job is to go in and start making a difference. And personally, I operate this way. So the first thing that I did, I'm going to tell you maybe March 15th or somewhere around there, is I wrote a recovery plan for my clients. I literally wrote, like, how are you going to recover from this? This is what I think you need to do. And I called them and I said, I've written a recovery plan for your business. And like, you wrote a recovery plan? They're not aware what a recovery plan even is at this point because they don't know what they're going to need to recover from. But I have a good hint that that once we shut things down, you're going to have a, you're going to need a recovery plan. So I immediately showed up and I said, I built the recovery plan. I want to deliver it to your teams. And so I started doing that just to make sure that people went and had the conversations they needed to have with their clients to give them the most help they could give them at that moment. So optimal, not even close. Uh, difficult, 100%. Very, very difficult. But it caused people to just go back and engage and say, what can we help you with? What can we help you with right now? And ask that question. And so a lot of those clients started generating opportunities around the pandemic because they had things that they could do. And they ended up having better relationships with their clients because they were communicating with them in a time of need and not making it self-oriented, not about a deal, not about a project, but about let's let's hear where you are right now. Let's talk through what we could do to help you uh, recover as your business as fast as you can. So I sort of took my recovery plan and said, turn these into your recovery plans. Now, how are you going to help them get back as fast as possible? And so then they're having meaningful conversations about maybe we can't do anything right now. Maybe we just have to be on hold, but what can we put in place so that when this ends, you can go as fast as you can and get as much back as you lost uh, if you're aggressive about it and if you have a plan to do something. So th- it was strange to me that people would immediately start to think like, you can't talk to them right now because they're busy. Yeah, they're busy suffering. That's the exact time you want to go talk to them and see if you can't give them some sort of relief or at least let them know that you're here and that you care about them. Worst scenario is they know that you cared enough to call them. I mean, that, that that's the worst thing that can happen. So how could that go wrong? I mean, how could that go wrong? It couldn't. So I, my biggest learning was how easy it is for people to say, 
my client's super busy dealing with these challenges. They don't have time for me. No, you're supposed to be helping them with the challenges. That's what we do. We show up and we help people with their challenges. So that was my problem with my biggest learning is that you sometimes have to nudge people. Uh, the way that I said it is the right thing to do is always the right thing to do. Like if it's right to go help your clients with the problems, it's always right to go help your clients with their problems. That's what you do. So a pandemic doesn't excuse uh, inaction and, and reactive and just waiting for somebody to tell you, I need your help. No, you go out and you ask if you can help. This really will get serious soon. Yeah, don't, it doesn't have to. I don't think anybody wants it to be serious.